Abi Yahweh, thank you for this new day. Again, the opportunity to share your truth, your knowledge, and your wisdom to any that would hear and listen to the words. Thank you, Father. Thank you for this opportunity and these tools that you present. Abi Yahweh, Aman. Yeshua, Aman. So I've done this with you before, and I'm going to do this again because there may be some new listeners out there that don't know this, and that's okay. But it bears repeating. So we're going to go down this list that I have in the front of my Bible. I wrote these down. And these are God's names. These are God's names. In the beginning first, he told Moses, I am. Then he gave us permission. He gave us permission to call him Yahweh. And yet those that decided that they knew much more than anyone else, including Jesus, of course, the, we're talking about the Pharisees or the religious leaders, they decided that, oh, no, we can't go by what God tells us we can do because he's too holy. So his name that he told us we can call him, we can't say it all. We can't say the whole thing. We can just do phonetic prefix and suffix and, and you can't put it together because it's too holy, he'll kill you or you'll die. Well, that's what they decided and they got people to believe that the name that God gave permission for us to call him Yahweh, maker of all things made, was too holy, so we couldn't call him that. Jehovah, the provider, the giver. Adonai, sovereign God. El Gibor, mighty God. Elohicha. Lord, my God, Elohimu, Lord, our God, Elohim, eternal creator, Elolam, everlasting God, El Shaddai, all-sufficient, Elion, most high, Hosino, Lord, my maker, Shira, Lord, my provider, Mega, Mega Dishkim, Lord, my sanctifier. Anisi, Lord, my banner. Rafa, Lord, my healer. Rohi, Lord, my shepherd. Saboth, Lord of hosts. Shalom, Lord of my peace. Shama, my Lord is present. Sitkenu, Lord, my righteousness. All these names are character names for Abba Yahweh. And by that I mean that those names are descriptive of God's character toward us. He loves us. And he is our banner, he's our healer, he's our shepherd. He is the Lord of hosts. 
and he is the Lord of my peace. And you hear that in the Hebrew culture, many times you hear when they greet one another, it's kind of similar, similar, but not to in Hawaii, aloha, aloha, hello, goodbye. In Hebrew, you'll hear them many times say it's uh, the same way with shalom. When they say hello and greeting, they're bringing it out and giving that to individuals or wishing it for individuals. But sometimes you hear them greet with shalom, shalom. And I got to reading about that and figured, and I, I, I try to practice that myself. God of my peace, bring you peace, or His peace. You're, you're invoking that to be on a brother or sister. You're calling for God's peace, and brothers and sisters, we know that this world <laughs> needs. All of that it can bring. But in my reading this morning, I was, and I find that I fall into this sometimes. And we forget God's ever-present nature with us. He is with us all the time. And if we look around, we can see this going on but we have to be looking with spiritual eyesight and listening with that spiritual hearing. And we block that out sometimes, and that's unfortunate. But he's all around us and he surrounds us. And in my reading, this is a very, this is a very interesting analogy and it fits perfectly though. Have you ever wondered about a cocoon? Why does a why does a caterpillar wrap itself in a cocoon or make a cocoon? Well, it's protective. And later on, it becomes, a, for some, a nourishment. But it's protective. And the transformation that's taking place within God's love and his peace and the light of his presence is like a cocoon for us. <laughs> I just got the, I just got a chili. Um, but he wraps us like a cocoon with his love and his presence. He's nourishing, protecting, loving, comforting, And he makes that from his promise. He gave us that promise. This is one of the infallible truths in the word of God. One of many promises that he gives us. And he keeps, I, brothers and sisters, I cannot tell you how many times I have seen this in practice and I, and things that are going on and that he is always here and around. And, and when I share with you, sometimes I get this overwhelming 
overwhelming sense of his being here, now. And let me step into his words and his truth, his knowledge and his wisdom that he shares with me that I can share with others. And I just, have you ever gone any place and just really excited about something and you get this stirring that it's, it's uh, some people call it the butterflies. You ever get the butterflies in your gut? Sometimes when you have to go to the hospital and doctor or regarding negative things, but when you're getting ready to go do something that you really like or you really, really enjoy, you get the butterflies. I get the butterflies. I get the butterflies right now. Because I get this sense that God is, oh, Yahweh is standing right here and he's liking what I'm doing, and that's a piece for me. That he has me to continue this, and I do this thing because I've shared with you before, I've signed that blank contract with my father. I didn't have to know what it said. I don't have to. This is God. But... He is always there and it's always there. And besides that fact, we allow things to get in and, if you will pardon the vernacular, jack with our minds. And this, of course, is the... The devil loves when this happens and it blocks the awareness. And the major problem or the one that is most significant is worrying about stuff. I started doing that this morning. I mean, there's things that are supposed to be getting done, supposedly. I use that term emphatically because that's how it is. And something that I'm learning more and more and more and more and, and should just anticipate that it's going to be this way is that these governmental agencies that are supposedly make these assurances and all this to get us to look to them for the answers instead of looking and talking to God. And then, of course, when you turn to them and you try to get a response from them, well, gee, gosh, we're sorry, we don't have it now or we didn't send it yet or, oh, gosh, we lost track. And we do it. So then you start to fret and worry. What does Paul tell us in Philippians, actually? And, and it's true. Care for nothing. And that word, when it's used in that context, it's not that you don't care for anything, because you do. You care for folks and you care for people. But in that context of that, it means not to be anxious. So in Philippians 4, uh, and here's a great, the, the, the Philippians 4, 4, 
Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing. And that translates to anxious. Be anxious for nothing. But they wrote it that way, careful for nothing. It's the same thing with fearful. And why do you suppose that is? Because if you're full of caring about things, you become anxious, you become fretful, you become worrisome, and you, and you start worrying about all of that. And if you're full of fear, then you react to others differently, you react to situations differently, and you react to many things differently than you normally would. So instead of being full of those things, that we should be full of the presence of God and focusing on God because he promises that he's with us always. And there's a new word here that I just learned. And when I looked it up, it's pretty powerful. And what we have to learn to practice, and we have to meditate on this. And again, when I share the word meditation with you, it's not that you're sitting in a lotus position and you have your fingertips touching and you're humming away. It's just concentrating your thoughts on God rather than all these things that go on around you. You can meditate on God while you're lying in bed or you're, while you're sitting in your easy chair drinking your coffee. Meditate on God. Think on God. Think of his presence. Focus on his face. Focus on his word. Think about what you were reading about him. And this new word that I learned is called anathema. <laughs> A-N-A-T-H-E-M-A, anathema to God. And that's what worry is to him. What does that mean? Well, it means that he loathes worry. He detests worry. It's a detestable practice to God. That's kind of powerful that if we practice doing that, that we're causing our Heavenly Father to be agitated. Well, it does. And why do you suppose he gets that way with worry? Because it takes focus away from him and it's making us, it's putting ourselves in charge. He is the sovereign Lord God Almighty. And now we're, we decided we're gonna take this and we're gonna worry about it, whatever the situation. We're gonna worry about it because worrying makes it all better. Really? Actually, it's very counterproductive to anything because you get all agitated and some people get so worried about things they do, they don't even go into what they need to take care of. I was sitting here so agitated and so worried about the situation that I was in, that I was doing, and I sat several days in a row and the start of the new day, I'd get up and I'd sit there and I'd try to mathematically figure this stuff out. And then I finally, I opened my hands and relinquished that to God and prayed about it, but I prayed about it with open hands because 
before I had been praying about it, but I've been holding on to it. How silly is that? How can you possibly, you go to God and you pray for something, but you hold your hands closed tight. So how are you supposed to let go of what you're praying to God about so that he can take it away from you? Or how are you supposed to receive any of the blessing he's going to pour out on you if you got your hands fists cupped around what you're trying to get rid of and you're holding on to it so tight and you can't get rid of it. It's just like holding on to things in the past. See, the devil wants you to look to the past and hold on to those things. And when somebody says, yeah, I remember how you were. I remember what you did when. Well, yeah, but that was then and this is now. What happened in between is Jesus Christ. So I'm not like that. But he loves for people to come to us and talk to us that way to get us so we go back there. And then we grab on and we hold on to it. It's like when you swim out in the sea of forgetfulness. God threw all that stuff out there, but we swim out there, dive to the bottom, pick up that satchel case, bring it home, trudge it up and throw it in the attic, our minds, and then we start remembering it. And then the minions come in and they slither up the stairs, or they skitter up the stairs, little serpents and scorpions, and they get up there and they knock these things over. And then they bust open and then they start kicking everything around. It stirs up the dusts and it stirs up agitation and things that we shouldn't have in our minds anyway. And then we become fearful of things again. And then we start worrisome. We get worried about everything again. Got to let it go. Don't swim out there and pick it up. I used to do that a lot takes a little bit of practice. I might walk down to the shore and look out there and then God shows me something really beautiful and I walk away. I don't go swimming. I don't go out there. So Jesus also shared with us that what good does it do? It's unnecessary and totally counterproductive. I mean, does worrying fix anything? Does it get done what that is that you got to get done or what you think is so important it has to get done and has to be a priority over doing something special with your children, doing something special with your spouse, your husband or your wife? Does it take precedence over getting to the church program that was supposed to be set up for your kids to be in some kind of a a program at church, but this thing that you are so worried about takes precedence over that? And you just got to give it to God and then back off. Just take some backpedaling. And redirecting our focus back to where it belongs. It takes a little practice because we're not used to that. We're very much used to trying to do and take care of everything ourselves. I mean, and I still have to practice at it. I mean, I'm walking much closer. I, I perceive that my walk with God is much closer than what it was. And I love, love the fact that it is. And I feel it. But I still have to practice to, to not do this thing. We've done it all our lives. And when you do something like that all your life, it, it gets ingrained and then you just kind of autopilot. And it's not, it's not a great place to be. And 
Jesus tells us and reminds us, and he tells us. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, about the body, what you're going to wear. Life is more than food and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his or her life? And since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the lilies grow. They don't labor, they don't spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow, it's thrown in the fire. How much more will he clothe you? O oh, ye of little faith, and do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink, and don't worry about it. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given unto you as well. Dr. Luke writes about that in 12, 31. Jesus is reminding us that worrying which is what we do, and we do it pretty well, is fruitless. I mean, there are things that happen, and he also reminds us that there will always be something troubling in the world. And Satan wants us to fret about all this stuff. But it doesn't do any good at all. It just compounds the issue. I shared with you all that math and all that stuff that I was doing and worrying about everything, praying and still holding on to it, praying and still holding on to it, and I, I didn't let it go. And then when I did, just when I, <laughs> the Holy Spirit said, you gotta let go. You gotta let go. And when I let go, the calming peace and just, it felt like really warm water, but not, too hot, scalded, but just very warm, just going from head all the way down. I could feel my whole body. I can feel it radiating through my body into the extremities. And then just immediately picked up what I had been doing and wrote down, I thought the same numbers, but I had not followed the rule of elementary math. Didn't take new mathematics to figure anything out. All this new math garbage that goes on. Holy Spirit, I just grabbed that paper and wrote down the numbers, wham, bam, and done. Didn't have to refigure, refigure, refigure. And then I just sat back in the chair and I just thought to myself, I said, oh my gosh, I'd been doing it wrong the whole time. I had been doing everything wrong the whole time because I didn't have columns lined up and I had 
And then it's, <laughs> it was like that flick on the back of the ear thing. See? You see? The Holy Spirit does that with me sometimes. And that's okay. Because he's not doing it to be mean. He's doing it to just remind me that I'm here. I got it. You just got to let go. And Jesus reminds us also in John 16 and 33. And Jesus tells these, us these things. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Jesus is teaching us these things because, point in fact, brothers and sisters, we are constantly going to have problems and troubles. And there are people that have the misconception, and I believe it's because they're being taught falsely in doctrines that elders and certain individuals are going to share with them are incorrect. And I say that because there is nothing in the scripture at all. Nowhere in the scripture do you find that tells us that everything's going to be a rose garden. There's that old song. It goes in my head whenever I, I'm talking about this or whenever this comes to mind. I can't remember who sings it now. This is when I, I first heard it. I was just a kid. I never promised you a rose garden. God does not promise us a rose garden. And when we accept that Jesus Christ is his only begotten son, and if we believe that whosoever believes on him and believes that to be true, and we have faith in God and the Holy Spirit to guide our steps, it doesn't mean that we're going to be on a cakewalk every single day. It does not mean that we glide across the surface of this earth plane of existence that we're in eight inches off the ground so that nothing gets in our foot and nothing trips us up. It doesn't mean any of that because the devil is in this world and there are those that practice working for him, the minions, and there are those that are in this plane of existence here the demons and devils that are working for him as well, that our angels and our protectors are in this plane of existence with us. Not a cakewalk, not a rose garden. Nothing in the word of God ever tells us that it's gonna be that way. And you know, I go back again to, some of you might remember there's this uh, program, I can't, uh, oh, no, actually it was a, a film. And some of the characters from the the weekly situational comedy were in it. And there was a character in the film. And she was supposed to be the head of the orphanage. But wherever she went, she floated. Because she was a nun. They were poking fun at the religious folks and 
so it should be. I mean, there's nowhere in the scripture, anywhere you look in the scripture, there's nothing that promises it's going to be that way. But instead, what Jesus, our Lord and Savior, tells us And he's telling us and reminding us that he is going to go. And he's promising the Holy Spirit is going to come to guide us that when he does leave. And in John 16, Six, or 16.5 actually. But now I go my way to him that sent me. And none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow hath filled your heart. And what he's telling them beginning before he gets there, he's telling them things and reminding them of things. But these things have I told you that when the time shall come, ye may remember that I have told you of them. And these things I said not unto you at the beginning because I was with you. But see, he's not going to be with them. He's not going to be with us. He is leaving but he didn't tell us that to get all upset, worried, sad. And there are some that do. And some they have a hard time because they don't see God. They don't see Jesus. But they're not leaning in. They're not listening with spiritual hearing and looking with spiritual eyesight. Still here. Still with us. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go. For if I go not... The Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he is come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. So he's going to expose all these things. Of sin, because they believe not on me. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father and ye see me no more. Of judgment, because the prince of this world is judged. Who's he talking about? He's talking about Satan, the prince of the world, the prince of the air. They call him a lot of things. All part of his tile. And Jesus tells us, I have yet many things to say unto you, but you cannot hear them now. Howbeit when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. Just like Jesus tried to do with the Pharisees, the Sanhedrin. What did he hear? He heard the word of God. He heard God. Why? Because he was with God from the beginning. And he tried to share that. Holy Spirit comes from God, shares what God is telling us, guiding us, teaching us. 
And Jesus reminded us, he shall glorify me for he shall receive of mine and shall show it unto you. And all things that the Father hath are mine. Therefore said I that he shall take of mine and show it unto you. And then, of course, here you had some of the disciples that were physically with him, and some even today. They try to second-guess what he's talking about. They don't get it. What? What's he talking about? A little while, you won't see me, and then again you'll see me because I go to the Father. And then, finally, they came right out and they asked him, they were saying it out loud. And they couldn't tell him again. But Jesus knew what they were desiring to ask him. They wanted to ask him outright, but they were kind of muttering to themselves. Do ye inquire among yourselves of that I said, a little while and ye shall not see me, and again a little while and ye shall see me? Verily, verily, I say unto you that ye shall weep and lament, but the world hath, shall rejoice and ye shall be sorrowful, but your sorrow shall be turned into joy. A woman, when she is in travail, hath sorrow because her hour is come. But as soon as she is delivered of the child, she remembereth no more the anguish for joy that a man is born into the world. And ye now therefore have a sorrow, but I will see you again, and your heart shall rejoice, and your joy no man taketh from you. And in that day, ye shall ask me nothing. Verily, verily, I say unto you, whatsoever ye shall ask the Father in my name, he will give unto you. Here, hitherto, ye have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and ye shall receive, that your joy may be full. These things have I spoken unto you in Proverbs, but the time cometh when I shall no more speak unto you in Proverbs, but I shall show you plainly of the Father. At that day ye shall ask in my name, and I say not unto you that I will pray the Father for you. For the Father himself loves you, because ye have loved me, and have believed that I came out from God. I came forth from the Father, and am come into the world again. I leave the world and go to the Father." Of course, the disciples said, Though now speakest thou plainly, and speaketh no proverb, now are we sure that thou knowest all things, and needeth not that any man should ask thee. By this we believe that you camest forth from God. And Jesus answered them, Do ye now believe? Behold, the hour cometh, is now come, that ye shall be scattered, every man to his own, and shall leave me, Alone, And yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. These things I have spoken unto you that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Our Lord Jesus tells us that there will be tribulation. And it will come. And there will be those that try to even come to try to take what joy, what peace, what happiness we do have. And sadly, I have heard some that claim to be Christian and believers that utter this phrase, 
Oh, I don't feel like going to Bible study tonight. My joy has been robbed. My happiness has been robbed. I just, the devil has just robbed my happiness, robbed my joy. Well, wait a second. Hold on there a minute. Uh, that's not true. You relinquished it. You let it go. You gave it away. He didn't steal it from you because he can't, He comes to do so. And this is, this is some of the battle that we have to fight. You have to stand upright. You have to be bold, courageous, and righteous in what God has promised to us. And you got to fight him for this stuff. You, what? You're just going to let him go because you read the end of the Bible and the Bible says that we win. So you just let the devil come in and his minions come in and take whatever they want? Nah, I don't think so. We have to fight a good fight. And you just want to let Satan go ahead, take whatever he's going to take and come in and decide what he wants. I want a little bit of that, a little bit of that, and just go through the shelves that you have in the around your attic and just let him come and pull these things off. Oh, there's a there's a container full of happiness. There's a container full of joy. There's a container full of righteousness. There, here, let's just take all these and we'll just smash them up out in the yard and, and they'll just vaporize. So we just allow that to happen. You have to hold on to some of these things. These are some of the things that you should hold on to. Don't want to hold on to things in the past and unforgiveness and don't want to hold on to those negative things, but those things that we have been given through the Holy Spirit by God. Hold on to them. Hold on to them tight. And they are worth the fight. Don't you think that that's worth fighting for? Or are you going to be one of those slothful, lazy Christians that will, or self-proclaimed Christians or label heads that sit in a chair with the lever pulled back and their feet up and they don't want to ever get out and witness. They don't ever want to get to church. They don't want to go to the special programs and then recite that, well, I read the end of the book and it says we win. So why do I have to go do anything? And there are those that claim to be Christians that use that as a scapegoat so they don't have to get out and do anything. Well, I think it's worth the fight. Of course, I was a warrior. I am a warrior to a point and extent. I mean, I'm not, I don't go out and pick fights with folks, but I like to believe that I wear armor and I'm willing to fight for those things that I believe, truly believe in, not to the point that so many do now where they get out and they troll people and they do all this and they get in onto the website, which is controlled by the Prince of the Air anyway. And they preach derisiveness, hatred, anger, and they want to start an argument and a fuss just for the sake of doing that. Uh, you don't get out and you stir that up. But what I do is I put on that armor and when the devil comes and these things come and they try to stir up agitation against that which God has taught and given to me, I rebuke and my shield of faith comes up and my sword of truth comes out and I draw from the logos and rema. Remember, 
Use them both in, con in connection, one with the other. And the Logos is the armory or the collection of knowing about God, but Rema is his personal words, his direction, and he does that. He gives it to us. Just have to hold on to it and be willing to use it. Brothers and sisters, be bold, be courageous, be upright, be truthful. And those that you share with would have the opportunity for repentance and to come and know Jesus and know God, not just hear about him. I mean, they can hear you speak and they know about it. They know that he's out there somewhere, but to have a personal relationship with Jesus, God, and the Holy Spirit. Don't you think that's worth fighting for? The maker of all things made, the creator of everything that we are and everything that we that is around us? I do. And I would like everyone to have an opportunity for repentance to get to that turning point either turn completely around or make a turn and head in the right direction and have the opportunity to be in heaven with their loved ones and share time. And, and brothers and sisters, I believe this, that there are many of you out there that I have never met, I've never seen, but when it comes time and we're at home, we're going to know one another. And that's going to be a beautiful thing. You're in my prayers. Am I going out? Am I coming in? Every day. 